0: Strange stories of peculiar people and extraordinary events throughout history. This is Notorious Narratives. Welcome to Notorious Narratives. I'm Jen. And I'm Robin. And real quick, I just want to take a moment to remind you to go to NotoriousNarratives.com where you can access all things Notorious Narratives, including the podcast itself, which if you are new to the podcast, we do put out new episodes weekly. Also, you can have access to our Shopify store from there. We can get some fun merch that we have uh, available for you. And there's also a link to our Patreon where you can access exclusive content. We put out two additional episodes every month that are exclusive only for our patrons. And the content is also ad-free on Patreon. And we send out some fun gifts from time to time. NotoriousNarrows.com. NotoriousNarrows.com. All right. So... Let's get into it. Tonight, I'm going to talk to you about the place that saw the most deaths of Confederate soldiers during the Civil War.
1: Robin, where do you think that was? I mean, I'm it's either like Virginia or Tennessee. Okay, so you're thinking states. Um, yeah. Oh, you're actually thinking like geographically, like no, no.
0: So my thought was immediately like battles oh okay right so my thought was like oh i bet it was gettysburg or Mm -hmm. i bet it was antietam or Spotsylvania. like i started to just think about specific battles but the place that i'm going to talk to you about is not a battlefield at all rather a pow camp located just four miles south of chicago called fort douglas oh no shit this camp is lovingly remembered by history as 80 acres of hell i'm sorry it's lovely it's lovely remembered yeah clearly sarcasm hello the camp operated from 1861 to 1865 and was the longest operating pow camp during the civil war camp douglas occupied roughly four square blocks of course there was no actual city there at the time it was just open
1: land it's so weird to think of a pow in our own country yes uh, so you're talking about it, and that's all I'm thinking about. Right. So you say POW,
0: my brain is immediately thinking Korea, immediately thinking Vietnam, Something, Afghanistan. But
1: a POW, Iraq, miles away from Chicago. Four Al- miles. Technically, almost, yeah, it's part like, of Chicago proper now. It's like almost center of our United States. Yeah, or continental United States. It's like there were a lot of POW camps during the Civil I know. War. and it's it, and no one talks about them. So you're not used to hearing them? So you saying to me right now there was a POW camp four miles outside of Chicago.
0: Well, so, you know, I guess I'll go ahead and say this. This is a part one of two. I'm going to talk about the Union's worst POW camp. And in the second part, I'm going to talk about the Confederacy's worst POW camp. Because I feel like you can't talk about one without talking about the other. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's not fair, really, to history. So... I'm going to... The second part will be... So this is part part one? one. Part two. Mm -hmm. This is part one. Camp Douglas occupied four square blocks. They were not blocks at the time because there was no city uh, in that area. It was just open land. Very wet, very marshy land. Today, it makes up the neighborhood known as Bronzeville the location may seem odd to you if you think about it. It seems a little removed from what you might think of as the major conflicts of the Civil War. Because you feel like those took place in places like Virginia and Tennessee and Pennsylvania. Like They just didn't seem to take place much in the Midwest. So for me, thinking of a POW camp in Chicago, it was like why? Why would there... Why there? It seems removed. But... The reason is actually that Chicago was the major transportation hub at the time. And it was an ideal location, mostly for what the camp was actually designed for, which was to be a training camp. And then later, it became a prison. The area has eight railroads that crisscross the region. Get the fuck? <laughs> yeah, with men and goods that could move about freely. Young men could travel from various parts of the state to enlist be trained there at Camp Douglas, and then sent directly by rail to the front lines. The camp was in close proximity to the Illinois Central Railroad, which was at the time the longest railroad in the world, and it ran from Cairo, Illinois, to Chicago along the Ohio River. Cairo was actually also an important staging point for General Grant at the beginning of the war, for which he launched attacks uh, on the Confederacy from that area. The camp opened in 1861, like I said, as a training and enlistment center for Union soldiers. It was designed to be a mere pit stop. Uh, just basically, you're going to go here, you're going to get a little light training, and off to battle you go. It was an improvised camp. It was put together very quickly. Its design was not well thought out and was never designed to hold prisoners or meet the basic needs of thousands of those prisoners. Another concept that might be important to mention is is that no one really thought the Civil War was going to last as long as it did. Yeah,
1: I know that. Yeah.
0: And I feel like that is, throughout discussing the prisoner of war camps, throughout Mm -hmm. discussing anything, I think, with the Civil War, I think that uh, that comes into a major play because they just never thought, they thought any day now it will be over. Uh, so a lot of the decisions that were made were made kind of from that mental framework. That's sort of like, you know, why bother building it better? Why bother putting more money into it's gonna it? It's going to end soon. It's just going to end soon. Yeah. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of but money. Now, it's a but waste now, of energy. the longer
1: you go, it's you are dealing with different types of um, Nate, Mother Nature, the seasons, more people. Like ugh. Yeah.
0: I mean, and they dealt with things that they had never even thought about having to deal with. So... The war didn't end. And so, what do you do? Both of the armies of the North and the South, there was a major problem that suddenly arose. And they were not prepared for this. And that was what to do with the captured men. No one planned for it. There were no rules, there were no regulations about how to care for these people. It would actually be the actions that took place in these major prison camps. During the Civil War, that would bring rise to the regulations of how people are treated to just meet basic human needs and allow some level of human rights. So here's where the trouble starts. In February of 1862, Ulysses S. Grant captured roughly 5,000 Confederate soldiers in a victory at the Battle of Fort Donelson at the Tennessee-Kentucky border. Robin, you might find that funny if you think about it. That is a fucking town. And what town was it there on the Tennessee Kentucky border, Robin? Fort Donelson is right by where I'm from. Oh, Clarksville, Clarksville Tennessee. Clarksville,
1: Tennessee. So growing uh, oh, up. Oh, by Fort uh, Cal- Campbell. Uh, Campbell. Mm hmm. So Fort
0: Donelson was very close to my house. I went there a lot when I was a kid. I scoured Does the it ground. So, is some
1: someplace that can handle 5,000 people?
0: Fort Donelson was the place where the battle took place. Oh, Jesus Christ. So, but. What we were taught in Tennessee history in the third grade was that the Battle of Fort Donelson was not really so much a battle because Tennessee was a little bit of a swing state. Like they didn't really know what to do with themselves. They're kind of like,
1: well, come on here, come on. Yeah. And they're still like that now. It's a little like, Mm -hmm. I'm on the east side. I'm on the west side. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's a
0: little light Midwest um, feeling, especially in that part of Tennessee. Because you're very close to Ohio, Illinois. Yeah. It's just kind of a different vibe. And so the thing that we were sort of taught and what it definitely seems like here is didn't seem like a lot of people died at this battle because it was sort of a, hey, we're going to come down the river. And Fort Donaldson kind of just gave up.
1: So they just they basically took a town. They took a fort they took the fucking thing Fort Donaldson is an
0: army fort if you go now like it is Do- I mean yeah. it is a civil war fort it is not an army fort in any way like uh, in 21st century yeah,
1: yeah, 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 I get it
0: but if you go there you can see places where guns were you can see cannons didn't see you can that see there. Uh, No I didn't get the chance to take you but if we ever go back I'll definitely take you I it was one of my favorite places to go as a kid just like on the weekends like My mom would be like, well, what do you want to do? And I'd be like, oh, let's go to Fort Donaldson because I have been this level of nerd for a very long time. It was just fun because it was mine when I was a kid. And so I'd always like dig dirt and like look for like little treasures in the ground. Anyway, so the idea that Fort Donaldson was sort of a drive by win that came along with 5,000 prisoners of war. But this was one of the Union's first major victories. But it created this huge, huge problem.
1: I'm sorry. Is it really considered a victory when everyone's just like, all right, let's just go?
0: Yeah. I mean, the Union army took Fort Donelson. Fort Donelson was right on the Tennessee Kentucky border. So they're coming down from Kentucky and cross the Tennessee border, and they're essentially taking the fort and breaking into the state of Tennessee, so it's a huge mm-hmm. victory. Of course, they ended up with a solid 5,000 captured soldiers and had no idea
1: what to them,
0: where to go with them. So, Mr. Ulysses S. Grant went ahead and put them on a flotilla of rickety transport steamers and he gave them two days worth of rations and sent them up the Mississippi River to Cairo, Illinois, where they would be someone else's problem. That man who inherited that problem, was named Major General Henry W. Halleck, and he commanded the Department of Missouri, and he was tasked with finding a solution. Halleck quickly began searching for a prison site that would fit all the basic criteria. It had to be far enough away from the battle lines that the Confederates wouldn't attempt to raid it and free their prisoners. Yeah. But it also had to be close enough to a city that had railroad connections so that large numbers of captives would be able to be efficiently transported in and out.
1: Do you think that they just kept them on that boat in the river until they found a spot? So you think that like 5,000? Also, on one boat? How many fucking boats? There were two. I said two. Two boats? Two, well, transport steamers. Wow. I feel like that's a decent size. Yeah, that's a cruise ship. Yeah, okay. A a river cruise ship. (laughs) A river cruise ship. Uh, So do you think they just had him stay on that for a while until they found out, like, wow, what am I going to do with all these people? I think
0: that the answer came pretty quickly when he started thinking about it. Because I don't think there were too many options when you start to think about it. While Camp Douglas did meet those criteria, it also had flimsy barracks and crude sewers that weren't designed to handle large numbers of occupants for extended periods of time. Like I said. Truly, no one thought this was going to be a problem. It was unforeseen and completely unplanned for.
1: Do you think that maybe they would have just been better off staying on those boats?
0: No. 5,000 people on two boats, no matter how big the boat is. It's not enough Well,
1: space. what kind of quarters are you getting anyway? I mean, I think it was a little
0: better than the boat. <clears throat> I hope so. I mean, not a lot, as I'm but about it, to tell you. But if it's worse, yeah. I would have just stay on the boat. So the prisoners were brought on the transports up the river to Cairo, Illinois, where they were sent off by rail. Okay. To Chicago. This did not make the residents of Chicago too happy. No. <coughs> oh. Chicago's mayor, Julian Sidney Rumsey, saw thousands of Confederate soldiers as a menace. Many felt that making a small many felt that making the small camp a permanent prison was a joke of the most dangerous proportions. The mayor and the citizens of Chicago worried that the 469 men and 40 officers would not be able to contain the thousands of anticipated prisoners. He warned General Halleck, Our best citizens are in great alarm for the fear that the prisoners will break through and burn the city to the ground. But when Halleck said that the Union didn't have any more troops to spare as prison guards, Rumsey temporarily assigned Chicago police officers and volunteer constables to help keep watch over the enemy.
1: So you have 490 yeah right So you have 5,000 prisoners mm-hmm. divided by 490 people that can, can kind of control. So let's just right? say there's 500 men there's 500 people it's watching like 10, 10 to one. yeah, yeah, it's like a 10 to one ratio which
0: I think seems reasonable. I mean <laughs> but I don't know yes. <laughs> as the first wave of prisoners arrived, about 5,000, it became clear that this camp was not set up to be a prison, and the prisoners actually shared the quarters with the Union soldiers who were freshly trained and ready to go to various battles. They also sent six soldiers to the camp, but the camp lacked any medical facilities. On February twentieth, 1862, a small crowd gathered on the southwest side of Chicago. They were there to watch the prisoners arrive. Under the guard of Union soldiers, augmented by the local police officers and volunteer constables, the captives, known as traitors, marched some 400 yards to the gates of Camp Douglas. The arrival of the Confederate POWs, who vastly outnumbered their guards, had been a source of worry for many of the people of Chicago, like I said before. Remember, uh, this is a camp. It's not a prison. There are no cells, no bars, no locks. No, because they're sharing their quarters with... And while the citizens were terrified that these prisoners were going to break out and overtake the town, yeah. their fears were soon alleviated when they laid eyes upon the mass of defeated soldiers that came off of the trains. The prisoners, coming from a warmer area, had no winter coats, oh. no blankets and had endured several days of travel on unheated boats up the Mississippi River.
1: Oh shit, I forgot about the climate. (gasps) And
0: then more exposure to frigid temperatures during the 300-mile train trip to Chicago. A more motley-looking crowd was never seen in Chicago, said a Union Army nurse named Mary Livermore. They were mostly ununiformed and shivering with cold, wrapped in tattered bed quilts, pieces of old carpets, hearth rugs, horse blankets, and ragged shawls. Anything that would serve to keep out the cold. So you have to remember that the Confederate Army was not a professional army. Mm -hmm. They were made up of sharecroppers, just volunteers. They were not not professional soldiers. So another onlooker observed that the prisoners' toes stuck out of their worn-out boots as they trudged through the snow. They were weak from diarrhea and bronchitis, and many of the captives' faces showed evidence of measles and mumps. But somehow, the Confederate POWs struggled on, just a few more hundred yards until they were safely inside the walls of Camp Douglas.
1: I mean, after all of that, I would be happy to be. Yeah, I'm sure they were like, at least there's a roof. It's warm. Yeah. I'll have some type of bed. Yeah. Somewhere to sleep. I'm going to have some type of food. Maybe maybe a warm sock? (laughs) Maybe. Probably not. Meanwhile... The thousands of prisoners streaming
0: into Camp Douglas by the trainload adjusted to life inside the makeshift prison that was surrounded by a 12-foot-high stockade fence with guard stations every 50 feet.
1: Inside, it was
0: lighted by large arc lamps.
1: That's, uh, I'm, I'm very, I don't want to say I'm upset, but I'm very, like, kind of, yeah, I guess I'm upset. (laughs) I, I, I did not think about weather yeah I did not think about the Southerns, Chicago's cold that, yeah, and and went very windy. And I wasn't thinking about how people from Louisiana or you know wherever they're from going from such a hot and very and I mean, not just that. It's not just that like they wouldn't have had the
0: appropriate clothing.
1: and then but the they would have also
0: in, probably like, lost it.
1: Yeah, and then and during then that the travel, battle, you know, and then and the, the travel of the Mississippi and just the fact that Mississippi runs so fucking long that every single state is just a different type of temperature and it's just getting colder and colder and colder and colder. And, colder. And, and they're like, oh, shit, like we've never been this far. So, like I said, when they get there, they
0: see this makeshift prison. It has a high fence around it. There's guard stations 10 feet inside the fence was a small wooden barrier and that was called the deadline prisoners would be shot if they crossed it that's that that's that if you crossed the wooden fence they you would be shot inside prisoners lived in long narrow wooden barracks each with a kitchen in the back that also functioned as a mess hall at first there were two infirmaries one for union soldiers and the other for confederates a third was later added to isolate smallpox patients Within a week, more than 200 of them were in the hospital, with several hundred more being treated outside. Before long, even more of their comrades would join them. But for many, the camp would be their final destination.
1: So all of their diseases are going on with the, these um, persons of war. Because they're, they're sharing the same barracks with...
0: So the, that situation didn't go on for too long. They didn't share with the Union soldiers for long. Okay. Eventually, it became clear that this was no longer going to be able to be a training facility. Because at the same time, stopped. then everyone is sick. And so Camp Douglas became a Union Army prisoner of war camp, and it stayed one for the duration of the war. It was clear that the Army had scrambled to find a place to house these prisoners, The ramshackle makeshift nature of Camp Douglas was apparent. It was full of falling down wooden structures that were rickety, drafty, and crudely built. And if the buildings were bad, the sewer system was even worse. Oh, my God. Holy shit. Literally. The camp was flooded with prisoners and more and more came, but none left. So they just stayed longer and longer and the numbers grew out of control. The Union Army was ill-prepared for this problem, as I said, and the camp that was built for 6,000 soldiers was now housing more than 12,000. At the horror's true peak, Camp Douglas was more dangerous than any battlefield. So I think that most of you have listened to our episodes, so you know that, you know, you've definitely studied history. And so you can probably already see two factors at play here that are going to be the real problem and the two major factors that made this camp so deadly were overcrowding and poor sanitation. These two issues caused rampant spread of disease and diseases such as dysentery, smallpox, typhoid fever, and tuberculosis ran through the camp, claiming the lives of as many as 7,000 Confederate soldiers during the four years that the camp operated. So, I mean, there were like, so as people died, there was just room for more. Exactly. So it's just, it's, and then. Yeah. So at the end of the day, the estimate is that 20% of people died there just because there was some coming and going numbers. Oh my God. So aside from being too small for the number of men confined there, Camp Douglas had another glaring and fatal flaw. When it was built in 1861, the state government had not approved funding for a sewer. As the camp filled up with prisoners, its soggy, crowded environment became a breeding ground for disease. The lack of a proper sewage management system accounted for a tremendous amount of the illness and subsequent deaths.
1: Imagine, what was it, 12,000 12, people? pissing and shittin' all day. Ain't nowhere for it to go. By June of 1862,
0: the population of Camp Douglas had swelled to 8,900 men, more than it was designed to house, and the barracks had taken on a very dilapidated look. Many of the inmates were sick, and 500 had already died. And that is just in the first couple of months. In June, a letter was sent from Dr. Brock McVicker, who was a surgeon who served as the camp's chief medical officer. And that letter was sent to Colonel Joseph H. Tucker, who was the camp's commander at the time. And he described the dire health hazards. The surface of the ground is becoming saturated with the filth and slop from the privies, kitchens and quarters, and must produce serious results as soon as the hot weather sets in. So, I mean, at this point, these people are living inside of a porta potty.
1: I love how before you said like one of the diseases was typhoid. And like we did an episode on Typhoid Mary mm-hmm. earlier. And, and it's, that, a, po- it's and, a poo disease. And now you're talking about the kitchen. So I'm like, yes. I was like, if you are constantly around feces and then you yet cook in a kitchen, mm-hmm. everyone's going to get typhoid. <laughs> Yeah. it's
0: like I'm sure among a myriad of other awesome illnesses so if any of you have ever been to an outdoor festival of any kind during the summer when it's hot and you've been around a bunch of porta potties imagine living inside that porta potty because that's yeah. a it's kind of what I imagine Camp Douglas sort of smelled like and what it was like to live there because it's because that's the other thing about Chicago.
1: Well, it's really cold in the winter. It also gets very, really, really hot sunny. and humid and it's
0: in the summer.
1: All sun. It's all sun. All and so this is
0: right on the banks of Lake Michigan. So you know it's warm. It's sunny. Yeah,
1: it's probably like right by like the Navy Pier area. It is yeah.
0: Mm-mm, not great. So when Henry W. Bellows, who was the president of the U.S. Sanitary Commission. Visited Camp Douglas that month. He similarly noted that standing water, unpleased grounds of foul stinks, of unventilated and crowded barracks, of general disorder or soil reeking of rotten bones and emptying of camp kettles. The only answer, he said, was to abandon the camp. There was no way to fix it. It must be abandoned. It is a rotten filth hole. But unfortunately, that did not happen. And when Colonel William Hoffman, the army's commissary general for prisoners, sought funds to improve the drainage, he was refused. Those in charge felt that all funds should go towards the primary goal of defeating the Confederacy, not making traitors comfortable. It was decided that they would use the prisoners as laborers and build a much-needed sewage system. It took until October of 1863 for the sewers to finally be built. These sewers were lined troughs that ran along two sides of the camp and emptied directly into Lake Michigan. But even after they got sewers, more prisoners died. Bad sanitation wasn't the only problem at Camp Douglas. The camp had 12 changes in command from 1862 to 1865, and the frequent turnover made planning and continuity impossible. Worse yet, guards were frequently selected from new Union Army recruits and were given very little training in how to handle prisoners. Eventually, in December of 1863, the Union switched to relying on officers and men from the Reserve Corps. So those people who had a little more experience. Um, But while the prisoners regarded many of the guards as competent and compassionate, there were also brutal ones who got away with abusing prisoners, often supported by officers who turned their backs on the wrongdoing. So like any group of people, you have those who are good by nature and those who are by nature evil or people who have just allowed the ideas of the day, such as hatred of the Confederacy, to cloud their moral judgment to a point that they find it so easy to torture and humiliate their fellow men for no other reason than to assert their dominance. Some of the cruelties that were endured by the prisoners at Camp Douglas were being forced to pull down their pants and sit on the frozen ground for hours at a time.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Others were stretched over a barrel and whipped with a belt buckle, or were forced to ride something that is called the mule, which was a 15-foot high structure with a sharp saddle. They would then have buckets of sand tied to their ankles, a punishment that left some unable to walk for many hours, days, or weeks. Solitary confinement at Camp Douglas took place in an underground dungeon, and many were forced to be in captivity in small rooms jammed with other captives. And while Confederate prisoners weren't starved, as their Union counterparts were at Andersonville, the diet was decidedly substandard. Each prisoner got an 8-ounce serving of beef on the weekdays and a 5-ounce serving of bacon on Sundays. The menu also included bread and a thin soup made from the water drained from the beef or bacon, with some beans and potatoes mixed in. But, of course, money talks, and those prisoners who had money were able to buy extra food from camp commissaries. In June of 1864, in retaliation for the mistreatment of Union prisoners by the Confederacy, rations were reduced for prisoners even further, and they were refused to allow vegetables to be sold to prisoners. Though many of the buildings within Camp Douglas had suffered fire and other reparable damage, Army Command refused to repair the structures. Approximately 20% of the men that entered Camp Douglas would never leave. Illness became the camp's leading cause of death. Part of the problem was the unfortunate choice of location. A parcel of land only a few hundred yards from Lake Michigan, built on sand over a clay base that made a quagmire during even a moderate rainfall. While this seems horrifying, I'm about to blow your mind. While one in three enlisted men would die on the battlefield, the rest would die in prison camps of their enemies or the camps of their own armies. More men died of disease during the Civil War than died in battle. So it's not just the prison camps. the regular camps where prisoners that, yeah. are staying.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I think if you just think about the sanitation conditions, the close quarters, the lack of running water, it's just a recipe for disaster. I read that and I was like, I 100% believe that, but I don't think it's something that people really know. Oh, no. So, considering the conditions, it is no surprise that many of the prisoners attempted escape. About 500 men were said to have escaped from Camp Douglas some by digging tunnels in the soft ground and some bribed guards and others merely walked away. But while this camp is one that many people may not know well, it was
1: definitely well known in its day and considered quite the spectacle. Honestly, I think that if, if those that just walked away, if someone saw like, all right, that's two less. We have to feed. That's fine. Let them go. It said, it, you know, like it we're into, very far away. What are they going to have to They have nothing out there.
0: It went into detail, a little more detail about how some befriended guards and were like, hey, let's go out and get a drink. And they would just go with them, walk on out with the guard. Mm. Like, But like I said, these are not real prison guards. <laughs> these also, are yeah, young men also, who
1: are volunteering to go to war and then are given this post. Yeah. And then these prisoners are, are walking away. They're leaving... Somewhat kind of food, somewhat kind of shelter, and so now they're going into this kind of climate that they don't really, they're not familiar with, and they don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I'm hoping they just hop a train.
0: Maybe. So like I was saying, um, this isn't something that, a camp that people really know much about today, but at the time, people were very, very into this place. So we've talked about this before. This was definitely a time when people were super hungry for entertainment. When the camp was opened, it was open to the public at first. That was before it was utilized as a prison. But even after it became a prison, they still allowed visitors and, like, just had people who came to check it out. But when they noticed that some of the prisoners would wander off with visitors, they they put that to a halt.
1: Oh, oh good. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. But that didn't stop the looky-loos. Looky-loos?
0: I did. I, I wrote it down and everything. Looky lose. <laughs> At that point, a local businessman got an idea, and utilized a hotel across the street from the camp, where he built a viewing platform <laughs> where people were charged ten cents a pop to climb up the stairway to a wooden platform to catch a glimpse of the oh rebels. My God. <laughs> Isn't that crazy?
1: <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course. Like,
0: why not? Right.
1: So, oh, why not? The first Hilton is great. <laughs> why not?
0: Oh my God! During the time that Camp Douglas was open, it housed over thirty thousand Confederate prisoners of war, as many as twelve thousand at a time. Southerners came to revile Camp Douglas, but like I said, this camp was not an outlier, but rather par for the course. It is merely an example of the deprivations many prisoners of war endured in a conflict that no one expected to last as long as it did, in an era before rules of how combatants should be treated had been clearly established. By December of 1865, the prison was closed and swiftly destroyed. Those who remained were given clothing and a one-way train ticket out of town. But for thousands of their comrades, most of them victims of disease, they would never return home. Some of the dead prisoners were buried in two small cemeteries on the grounds of Camp Douglas. But most were buried in Chicago's Old City Cemetery along the shores of Lake Michigan in what is now Lincoln Park. No shit. Soon after the war, the bodies were moved and the city cemetery where the bodies had been originally interred was closed when erosion of the shorelines allowed loss of bodies into Lake Michigan Which was Chicago's primary source of drinking water. Oh, my God. Yeah. They buried so many people in such soft, soggy ground that literally as water levels rose a bit, just bodies went on away. Oh,
1: my God.
0: So the bodies that were moved from the city cemetery were taken to Oakwood's Cemetery, which was the only cemetery that would accept the bodies of the soldiers. Today, in Oakwood Cemetery, a monument stands, marking the largest mass grave in the Western Hemisphere, that houses 4,000 of the Confederate soldiers who died at Camp Douglas.
1: You know what? Thank you. Because no one else would take them?
0: No one else would take them.
1: Thank you so much, because that... That's amazing on how they would. Oh.
0: I mean, because this you was see? right after. This know, was right after the war, so people are not they're cool not, yet.
1: They're not happy. They're not friendly. Whatever it yeah. is, but that. But this. But one, this cemetery was like. All right, this one cemetery no. is like. You know what? We're going to do that. Oh, that's awesome.
0: More Confederate soldiers are buried in Chicago than anywhere else north of the Mason-Dixon line. The true death toll of the camp is hard to accurately measure. Historians agree that there is a minimum of 4,500 men that died there, but as many as 7,000 could have died there. Today, much of the site is covered with condominiums, but as of 2012, archaeologists have biannual digs at the site, and the Camp Douglas Restoration Foundation hopes to eventually have a museum in the area to memorialize the history, horror, and hopefully the lessons learned from the loss of so many souls. And that is the story of 80 Acres of Hell. Camp Douglas, just another notorious narrative. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, there are a couple of things that you can do to help us out. You can leave a positive review wherever you're listening now. You can also go to patreon.com forward slash notorious narratives, where you can access content that is exclusive for our patrons. And remember, keep it weird and never.